0: But, yeah, with that said, let's let's dive into 1 Peter. Um, if you do have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be beginning in verse 1 and then work our way to verse 12. Um, um, one thing I did want to do, which I thought was really... I thought would be really important because we had, it's been such a while since we've had our last big meeting. It just provide kind of a quick, um, review of chapter one. Uh, and I know that's something that unless you were reading chapter one coming in today's meeting, uh, you might see some of the things that we talked about and be like, oh yeah, yeah, we talked about that, but I don't really remember all the details. So I'm just going to recap and then we can read chapter two, the first part. So in chapter one, verses 1-9, uh, through nine, we looked at one of our first truths, which is that as people, for Christians, right, people not of this world, we have hope through faith in Jesus Christ. And we observe that the Apostle Peter is writing this letter to Christians, and these Christians have been under some pressure, some um, pressure of trial and suffering. We don't exactly know what that is, specifically, uh, but we can make inferences based upon where they were and the territories they were. Um and so Peter reminds them that their only hope is the living Christ. Our only hope as believers is the living Christ. And we see that in verse 3 of chapter 1. And ultimately, this is to give us great joy, right? It's not so that we can be glum and just like, uh, Jesus is alive. You know, like, no, really, like, we can enjoy the truth about Easter, Every day, right? We don't have to just make it a, a once, and it shouldn't a, just be a once a year type of celebration. It should be a daily moment by moment celebration that Jesus is alive. Um, and verse eight reminds us that we are are um, having an opportunity to have inexpressible joy. Um, later in verse uh, in the, re- the remaining of the chapter, in, in chapter one, um, up until verse twenty five, we see that uh, our second truth that we looked at. Which is that as people not of this world were called to be holy, as we remember the gospel, and we saw that the promise of salvation was promised long ago by God through the mouths of prophets and written down ultimately. And um, being saved and given living hope should affect our daily lives. It should change us. Those who who are simply professing Christians but do not have a life of 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 works that prove are a proving ground for their. Uh, profession, um, me to question that we ought to have holy lives that ultimately imitate the God that we fear, that we revere, that we serve. Um, and that's why we're called to not only love God, but love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and more importantly, we ought to pursue this godliness as we remember the gospel and what God has done. And we fight to, 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 to put to death our, our indwelling sin, uh, not so that we can gain favor with God, but so that because we already have favor with God, it's our motivation to live in a way that honors Christ. And so that's kind of what we looked at for the first uh first chapter. And so as we come to chapter 2 in which Peter continues to encourage this group of elect exiles uh to ultimately conduct themselves in an honorable manner as they remember uh, their identity in Christ. We're just going to continue to um we're going to continue to look at similar themes. And one thing I also want to encourage you, teams, is sometimes um, in our search for novelty, right? You know, we can often um, become over familiar with something as we've learned before. and But there's an intentionality to things that are repeated within Scripture. And we ought to continue to be mindful of the fact that when things are repeated, we just, we should pay attention and, and, and be thankful to God that He cares enough to remind us, you know? Um, sometimes maybe you've heard from your own parents, like I, you know, I've said this already, you know, I shouldn't have to repeat myself, right? You might've heard that, or you've heard that from individuals, but how kind of God to repeat truth for us to sink deep really into our hearts. So let's read, uh, first Peter chapter two, one through 12, and then I'll pray and then we'll go straight in. Okay. So this is, uh, this is God's word guys. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for 1 Peter. Thank you for the ways in which um, you speak to us through your word. And even though this letter was written um, thousands of years ago, God, it is is living and active. And it is, is relevant for today, God. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would just uh, fill me Um Illuminate your scriptures so that we might see your truth more clearly, see Christ and him crucified more clearly, and that we would, by the end of the day, have our affections stirred for you, God. Um, not just simply mental knowledge, but a, uh, a greater love for you. And we pray this in the name of Christ, amen. So, today's big truth that we're going to look at, so if you're taking notes, feel free to, or just mentally, uh, we're going to be looking at this big truth. That Christians are living stones who find their identity in Christ, the cornerstone. Christians are living stones who find their identity in Christ, the cornerstone. And we're going to look at three points. First is our taste for the word. Second is our identity in Christ. And the third is our response to mercy. So let's look at the first point. uh, Our taste for the word. So if you look at the first three verses in chapter two, okay, there's a there's a lot that's in there. Okay. Peter begins with an exhortation, right? Pushing these people to consider, not only consider but to truly lay hold of this truth. Which is to put away ungodly and destructive tendencies. And if you look in there, if you look in in Scripture, you see a couple, a few different ones. uh, Malice and deceit and hypocrisy, slander. Um, All of these are applicable to our relationships with people. And I think this is just a great proof text for the fact that the Bible is very consistent in our message to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the fact that these are tendencies of all people. These are, all, these are tendencies to have ill will towards others, to be deceitful or to lie, to be hypocritical, to not do the things we, we say we represent or do, to envy one another, to be jealous to talk bad about people behind their backs. Every one of us has a capacity to do these things that don't honor God. And Peter is trying to remind, and, and, and this is kind of, if you look back in verse 25 of chapter 1, you see that there's an intentional contrast between the transition here, right? Because it says in the previous verse in chapter 1, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So in light of that, put these things away, right? It's it's the very opposite of the good news, right? The good news is Jesus dying for enemies, right? The, giving his life as a ransom for many. And so we see a contrast here with how our conduct ought to be around other people. And none of these things represent laying down our lives for anyone. It's all about elevating ourselves. Malice and deceit, envy, hypocrisy and slander, they, they are all selfish acts. They are all about us. They have no consideration for others. And so also notice how verse one is coupled with verses two and three. And so something to note teens within scripture is, and this is just, I think really helpful for even just as you talk with other individuals or even as you talk to your parents or um, it's important to recognize that it's not enough for us to tell individuals what not to do, we're really good at that, right? Especially with like small kids. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. But what's really wonderful about Scripture is it doesn't just lay out a bunch of do nots. It provides us with the do's. What we what, what should we do, right? And so we see in in Scripture that it pushes us not only away from God ungodliness, but pushes us toward godliness. And so in verse two, it says. That like newborn infants, that we ought to long for this pure spiritual milk, right? And then you think to yourself, what does this have to do with what Peter is talking about here? This this pure spiritual milk. And this spiritual milk is referring to the living active word of God, which according to Peter is able to keep a believer growing into salvation or mature in salvation, And so salvation, the act of God saving, it is a one-time act in the fact that we are saved by God through faith in Jesus Christ by grace alone, yes. But that there's a process of maturation, maturing that takes place and we must acquire a taste for God's word that is not natural to man, right? No one grows up loving the Bible. Right, no one goes up and say like, "Oh my goodness, this is the best book ever." I want to, you know, maybe, 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 maybe a mental like, "Oh, this is a great book." I know a lot of people who who love the Bible but are not Christians and they're dead inside. And so, we must, when we are saved, as we are growing in maturity in Christ, are growing a love for God's Word, a taste for God's Word, that. Removes the taste of other things that we might have previously found to be enjoyable, right? So now, you teens, right? You might enjoy a, a glass of milk. Anybody lactose intolerant here? Anybody lactose intolerant? Okay, it's okay. I didn't like. I didn't grow up drinking milk, right? So, you know, it's okay. I, I do apologize. I, Mrs. Reed and I drink almond milk anyway. Um, actually, I have a small lactose intolerance. It's it's it can be a little bad. One time, I just tried to experiment and. Well, you felt it was pretty <laughs> bad. It was pretty bad. Um, but in either case, um, cow's milk, right? As we, as you know, right, isn't really the same um, as milk produced by uh, a mother's body, right? When when she has a child, and so obviously one thing that um, I've learned over time with not having a son, small child, he's now you know Ezra's now only six months, crazy as time's going. Um, I have learned a lot about. Mother's milk—it's crazy. So, um, so I just wanted to share this picture because I thought was—I just like showing pictures of Ezra. So, uh, this is this was me when actually I was feeding him. So, one thing I love about feeding time is because the majority of time, Mrs. Suri is the one who's always feeding him, and I don't get that kind of joy of being like, ah, let's go, to, let's let's eat together, uh, Ezra. <laughs> um, you know, and and so when I finally get an opportunity when when Mrs. Suri is away, she's on a run or doing something, I love you know, defrosting some of the milk that we have in the freezer and putting it into a bottle and then feeding him. Uh, I mean, he just, he, he loves it. Um, so let me just share a couple, let me just share a couple facts about mother's milk, okay? And again, I never knew this. This is amazing. First fact, um, the milk of a mother changes over the life of her baby, okay? So like um, the milk that was first given to Ezra when he was born is completely different than it is right now. It's completely different. It's, it's makeup is completely different in order to accommodate a newborn's digestive system. It starts with a, like this thinner milky liquid and then goes into a more fatty transitional milk uh, to a more mature milk as the digestive system allows for it to take it in. It's crazy. It's remarkable. Um, And so, this allows then there to be greater you know, nutrients for the growing baby, and that's the second point, which is it's packed with nutrients. It includes vitamins. There are carbs to decrease unhealthy bacteria. There's antibodies to fight infection. Proteins to help the baby become super chunky, like him, like me. Yeah. So in the end, right here, the third piece is that newborns can also distinguish the scent between milk, right? That's crazy. Like, if I, if, if I had two sets of milk, one that was from, from mom and another for somebody, they would know the difference. And again, we're talking about a child only six months old, knowing that distinction. Fourth, mother's milk can be, uh, placed on rashes, cuts, and even, you can even put it in, in kids' eyes when they have infections, um, to heal more quickly, uh, um, uh, like any type of womb or infection, it kind of acts as like a natural neosporin. Uh, if you guys are familiar with putting Band-Aids on, you might put an ointment of some sort. That's actually what it acts as. And so actually we have some on his face here because he had a rash at one point. And so Mrs. Serita would just take milk and rub it on his on his cheek. And um, it actually works. It's crazy. Um, or he'll cut his, his, his face because he has long uh, fingernails. And so that, that's cool. Um, and then the fourth thing is, uh, or another one is that... Um, While formula, if you're familiar at all, formula is a powdered substance that's mixed with water, and usually, you know, you might see mothers at either a church or other places they're shaking a bottle like this. Okay, that's usually because there's some type of powder that needs to be mixed with water. Even though this is a suitable substitute for newborns, um, the research shows that mother's milk. Is actually far more nutritious. It's, it's not an exact equivalent. And they are getting nutrients, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's not the same. It's actually more preferred for development of a child within the first year of life. And this is just awesome, right? Like God is awesome. You know, like God is awesome. You know, it, it's, it, I never thought I would get wowed because of the fact that milk could heal my, my son's scratch on his face, you know, but, um, I, I do. I, 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 marvel at God because he, he made us and, um, so so here, teens, this, this connection to milk, right? Um, sure, you know, the, the the readers of this letter, okay, right, weren't studying modern medicine, okay? They they weren't talking about the antibodies that are located in milk when uh when this passage or this this letter was written, right? But it didn't take them to know modern medicine to understand the connection here, okay? God's word, okay, like a mother's milk is specifically tailored to meet our spiritual needs in a way that nothing else can. Right? No other book, no other philosophy, no other thing that you will ever read will be able to provide what you need spiritually. And over our lives, as we grow, similar to that of a mother's milk, we see that, we see scripture from these different angles. I can tell you that the way that I read scripture or the way that God uses scripture in my life now as being twenty-seven is different than it was when I was seventeen. Like it's 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 just like there's ways I'm like, I didn't I didn't notice that before. Like, I didn't I didn't see that in there. I've read this book so many times. I read that passage so many times, and it's ministering to me truth in a different way I've never seen before. Like, and that's why we 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 know it's living and active, right? It also protects us from the bacteria of ungodliness, if you will, right? To continue the analogy that seeks to tear down our spiritual immune system. We are exposed to countless things that want to take our gaze off of Jesus and onto self and onto the world and to the pleasures that are offered. And so what it does is it it, it, it rips our gaze away and puts it on Jesus because Jesus is the superhero of this story. Jesus is the ultimate hero of this story that we get to marvel and enjoy. And so it protects us. It provides also healing for our souls when we feel those consistent thorns of indwelling sin, when you've been struggling with something over and over again. And you need to be reminded that your Redeemer lives, that that, that Christ died, that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the type of healing that God's word provides. And I can tell you, there's some times where I'm just so emotionally out of it because I struggle with the same things over and over again. And I just take time and I, I and it, you know, it's, it's not magic. It's the Holy Spirit, right? Like sometimes people, I think to myself, this is like magic. No, it's the Holy Spirit. I will just read God's word. And as we talked about in our previous crossfire theme, my, my feelings will just shift to a point of just being kind of bummed and very, just I'm so out of it too, so in love with Jesus. Like I, I I can't it is is the power of God's word by the Holy Spirit. And I can't tell you teens. There have been some times where I just and, and mystery knows this where she's like, hey, have you read? Have you read God's word today? I'm like, no, I haven't, you know, and I just I take some time, get away and read God's word. And it just provides such nourishment to me. Right, like, like, the, than the best meal that I've ever had, okay. And when we are regularly drinking from God's Word, we are then able to distinguish from other sources that are are not good for us. Right, like like a baby distinguishing between what is the, this is my mom's book, that's not my mom's book. This is God's Word, that's not God's Word. And we're able to distinguish between these half truths that are being given in our culture. Right. It's churches that are promoting things that are not of, of, of God's word. They're small half-truths that go back to the Garden of Eden. Did he really say this? Right? Like, this allows us to be equipped and ready for battle. There's a war for our worship teens, okay? And one thing that I, Mr. Etter and I want for you, one thing I want for you, what your, te- your, 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 your parents want for you, is to train you guys up to be equipped in God's word, um, so that the day that you know you you maybe even are not under your parents' roof anymore, right? You're out. Maybe you're, maybe you want to go to college. Maybe you want to work. Whatever it is, that you have this as your weapon, that you are able to say no, no, no. That's not that's that's not who God is. When people tell, try to tell you who God is, that's not the God I serve. It's like, well, let me tell you about the God of the Bible. That's, that's, this is the truth about who God is. We're able to distinguish. And we ultimately can agree with verse 3. We can agree with verse 3, which says, Indeed, we have tasted that the Lord is good. And so, teens, one thing I would encourage you with, and and this is, you know, again, this is something that I'm sure your parents can encourage you with over and over again, is the importance of reading your Bible every single day. Every single day. It's not just a task. We have no shot at surviving spiritually any more than Ezra does if he doesn't drink milk, okay? Okay. And this is actually really true. Um, I, this is one of the things that I've also learned about, um, this stage in life at six months. So we recently had an appointment and, and Mrs. Sarita was asking, cause you know, we're first time parents, right? When we can ask other people, but she was just at an appointment's like, Hey, you know, I know solid, solid foods is something we can introduce, you know, mashed, you know, broccoli and mashed squash, all that stuff, right? To get them used to the textures. And so like, is she's like, is it okay if I do that now? She's like, yeah, she, you can, but you know, it doesn't have any nutritional value. It just, It's just so he gets used to this substance. If you remove the milk and gave him even the most healthy of things, seemingly healthy things that we are getting nutrition from, it wouldn't do it. Right? And so there are a lot of things even in our lives when we think to ourselves, okay, let me see if I can substitute things for God's word. I'll go to church, I'll go to Crossfire, I'll, I'll 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 talk about things, I'll watch a podcast, I'll uh watch a YouTube video, um, I don't know. Like I'll listen to Christian music, right? We can do a lot of good things, right? But but that, that are a so like that they center around God's word, but don't actually read God's word, right? We don't actually Take time to enjoy this. This is, the, this is the source from which all these things are coming from. And so we have to go to the source of nutrition. And so, teens, I would just in, continue to encourage you. Um, I have to confess that when I was, in, when I was in, in high school, I didn't really like reading God's Word. I didn't really start reading God's Word until I got to college. Like I, like actually reading God's word, not like like cookie cutter Christian where I just kind of like pull this out and be like, oh that's really nice, you know. But really reading God's word through. I didn't read the Bible through until like until I was in college actually, which I was just thinking to myself, man, why couldn't I take advantage of time and stop playing so many video games? <laughs> like you know, um, you know, like and there's nothing wrong with those things. You know, that type of recreation can glorify God, but. I'm just thinking to myself, at the end of my life, what am I going to say? That I wish I played more video games, that I wish I had more fun doing this, or that I could have read God's Word more. And just want to add something in there for you, yeah. as you were talking. Um, there's a phenomenon when it comes to God's Word, which is actually the opposite that i found with food. The more you eat, you get full you don't want to eat. The mm-hmm. more you read, the more you can't get of it, you've got to have more. Yeah. The less you read of God's mm-hmm. word, the less you want of it. Yeah. And you find that phenomena as you get older, as you read more, you can't get enough of it, and you've got to have more of it. So Amen. there's that opposite yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of working spiritually. Yeah, yeah. As uh, you were saying that, it reminded me. Yeah, of it. yeah. Thanks, John. Um, yeah, I completely agree with that, um, and it's a ways in which you become more. I mean, it's like even just like a refined palate. Like you guys, like again, when I was, Mrs. Sarita and I reflect on this often. Like when I was a kid, (laughs) like we'll we'll go through the grocery store and we'll see like Hawaiian Punch and Sunny Delight and like Tasty Cakes on the, and, and we'll be like, why did I ever like eating that stuff as a kid? How could I ever eat all that stuff? Oh my goodness, I used to eat bags of, Doritos and and Oreos and all the stuff that I give you guys because I know you like it so I bring it. Um, but I'm like I could never eat that same amount. Like I used to down like goldfish bags in one sitting and it's bad for you. Um, and so anyway, with that being said, as Mr. Stolinsky was even just kind of pointing out, right? Like you grow um, a, a more mature and refined palate and and and. As you read god 's word, it becomes yes, like the things of this world and the things that either that you read or you partake it of just like it becomes distasteful like you just ah oh, like you know even the certain things that maybe I watched as a kid on television I can't watch anymore like it makes me it makes me spiritually uncomfortable, but sometimes it makes me physically uncomfortable you know and, and and that that's that's what can often happen when we saturate ourselves with god 's word we we want the things of God. And less the things of the world, and um, if you're a Christian, you know maybe, maybe you feel discouraged because you're like, but Mister Trader, you know, like I don't, I don't feel that way, right? You know, the Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will help you. Ask for the Holy Spirit to to illuminate the Scriptures to see, so that you might enjoy um, Christ more, and so. Um, I just wanted to really hit on that point. Um, and we're gonna kinda go through the rest of this kinda relatively quickly, but but uh, I thought that was really just important, guys. Um, no time in God's word is ever a waste. No time in God's word is ever a waste. Don't ever see it like, oh, you know what, I I am reading by, by Bible, but I'm not reading my Bible as much as fill in the blank this person. Don't don't fall into that comparison game. Just enjoy God. Just read God's word. See it as a source of nutrition that it is. Second point is our identity in Christ. As Peter continues in verse 4, he begins um, to use this metaphor to describe Christ and believers. And so the phrase that Peter uses in verse 4 is um, living stone, first in relation to Christ. And this is meant to remind believers that Christ himself is their ultimate source of protection and security, And note also that it's not just a stone, but it's a living stone. And and that that, that is pointing to something, right? The fact that that he has resurrected Jesus. He's alive. And unfortunately, we also see how unbelieving men treated Christ. They rejected him. It says that in the scriptures. Later in verse 8, we see that this is, though, no surprise to God, right? There's no surprise that people disobey him, right? He's not... He's, God is not um, pulling out his hair and saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're not believing. You know, like, it it, it grieves God, but he's not surprised by it. Acts 2.23 reminds us of this kind of understanding of, of, of God's sovereignty in this all, but also man's responsibility. This is actually the Apostle Peter speaking to people in the book of Acts. And he says, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so we see that God is not surprised by when people disobey. It was even a part of the plan of having Jesus go to the cross, and he used it for, ultimately, his glory. And on the other hand, though, we see that though people have rejected God, we see that he's also chosen and very precious to, to God, the Father. And we see that within this section right here in verse four. Quick point of application, and this is this is something that we ought to just be mindful of um, as we're talking to other individuals about, about Jesus, as we disciple, as we evangelize. Um, when someone chooses to reject Jesus, when someone chooses to reject Christ, they also reject the benefits that he offers, right? You cannot take the benefits of Christ and not have Christ, right? In this case, protection, security that comes with this eternal life. You know, I've heard it said that you you can't claim Jesus as Savior, right? Like, okay, like, yeah, I believe in Jesus because he's going to get me out of hell one day, but I'm not going to ever submit to him as Lord. Like, I'm never actually going to respect him, revere him, honor him. I'm not, I'm not going to... I don't need to follow him, I just need to use him as insurance so that when I die I'm good. That's not that's that's a disgrace to the gospel. That's an abuse of grace, that's not true faith. And so in the end, rejecting Christ leads us to not receiving also the benefits that he offers as this living stone. But the believer that that tastes, right, and sees the Lord as good, he's not put to shame he is safe he is secure and so then we also see how living stone is related to believers the second is in verse 5 and he uses the same term to characterize them and this is kind of pointed to the the fact that we are ultimately represented as the ultimate living stone the cornerstone in whom we find our identity and as we grow up as living stones individually we also grow up corporately collectively and this is why the church is the church right that's why you can't say you are a church as one person there is a inherent in in the in in the understanding of the church it's inherent that it's collective it is a group in which we find our find a foundation on Christ right and so if somebody ever says i love jesus but i don't like the church that's contradictory you you can't and you know, some people say they have a struggle going to church that may be different in some sense. Maybe they have some, some issues they need to work out, and we need to be sensitive to love our neighbors that way. But to say, no, I, I want nothing to do with that. Like, I like doing my own thing. It's like, well, God's word says that we're being built up together. We're being built up as living stones. So that would be, that wouldn't, that wouldn't make sense. And so we read, we, we sang the song, Christ Alone Cornerstone. And so uh, you guys might be wondering, hey, what's a cornerstone? Um, and so this is, this is something I, I found online. Just a quick definition so you can get an idea of when, right, we're talking about a cornerstone. And this is before kind of modern construction. So you got to kind of go back again. We're going thousands of years, but the definition is a foundation stone or setting stone is the first stone set in construction of a masonry foundation. All other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. And so I love how this definition puts it, that all other stones will be set in reference to this stone, the cornerstone, Jesus. Right? And so you have no reference point if you're just on your own. Right? If you're if you're just like, ah, I love Jesus, what nothing to do with the church. Like, that's 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 a problem because we're being built up together as as a spiritual house. Now obviously this is not talking physically, right? We're not being built on top of each other physically. We're talking figuratively here. And we understand that our identity is, is not in reference to who we are, right? What have I done? But who Christ is and ultimately His finished work on the cross. Um, this, this, some of this language really points back to the Old Testament of a spiritual house. Um, being a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices in the Old Testament. Again, if you're familiar, this is why it's so important that we know our Old Testament, is that Old Testament priests would offer physical sacrifices under God within kind of a physical house of, of worship. But within the New Testament, believers are considered to be the temple of God, according to 1 Corinthians 3. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us as believers and we offer our lives and our bodies as acts of worship. Romans 12. And you might ask, well, you know, Mr. Sarita, I'm offering my life and my as a as a sacrifice, but I don't feel like I'm good enough to be accepted, and you would be right. But Christ. And we see that in verse 5. It says. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, and look at that nice preposition, through, who is it? Somebody? Jesus Christ, right? So, here we have, that's the way that we're accepted. It's through Jesus Christ. So that when God sees us, he sees us through the sacrifice, the life of Jesus Christ, and he... And, and, and he sees us as, as a son or a daughter. And that gives us reason to rejoice. In the next few verses, in verses 6 through 8, and this is something that I love also about New Testament scriptures because it's it's just kind of pointing to Old Testament and is a, a great uh, proof text um, for the validity of Old Testament scripture. Psalm 118, Isaiah 8 14 and psalm 34 12 through 16 are all quoted in here you might see it in your footnotes or in kind of the margins and each of these passages reinforced peter's case you know he he was he, he had a mental note over these verses because some of them are even just word for word and these ultimately boost his case that jesus was chosen and the ultimate consequence for those who accept and reject him and we see also the sovereign hand of the lord for those who disobey the word In verses nine and ten, we see repeated themes here, and this is not by this is not by accident. Right? Contrary to those who stumble over Christ and disobey the word, believers, this is how this is how we're described, right? As believers, if you're if you're a Christian, as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And there's a lot we could talk about here. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip to the last portion, which is the last, the kind of last phrase here, being a people for his own possession. Um, I just love the, the the personal nature of God, right? Um, like... I've always, I, I say this over and over again, but I, I just, because I think it's just so true. God is not a distant deity who, har, who holds his arms at a distance saying, you're there, I'm here. Do we understand each other? Like, like a people for his own possession. That is showing intentionality. That's showing a personable, like a personal connection, right? This is, this is mine. This is mine. When Mrs. Sarita and I got married um, and we exchanged we exchange vows and rings, if you've ever been to a wedding, again, I, I certainly didn't appreciate them as much as I did as I got older. But um, if you've ever been to a wedding, right, you know, there's exchange of vows and, and rings. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll take off my ring. Um, and so I have this ring. This is made of titanium. Um, I'll look inside of it. And so, this is a very uh, a typical thing for uh, married couples to do. Not everyone maybe has done it, but um, I have her name engraved, inscribed in the inside of the ring. And every once in a while, I will just take it off and look at it. You know, I'll just I'll see it and uh, I smile because Mrs. Sarita is is mine. She's my wife, right? Not as a, not as not, not, not as, as property, right? We're thinking in light of how God views us, right? As as cherished. Uh, you know, really adored, right? Like, I'm her, she is mine. Humanly speaking, there's not one other person, humanly speaking, there's not one other person I love more than my wife, right? And this brings me so much joy because, teens, there will never be a love and a compassion stronger than God's love for you, right? There never, there's nothing comparison. There's no comparison, to God's love for his children. No parents, no girl, no boy. You guys will go through a lot of different stages in your life, especially, again, with with relationships, right? Oh, my goodness. My heart would be for you to recognize that that longing, right, that longing, you can only appreciate the Truly, the love of another person. When you understand who is the author of love, who created love, who who is the essence of love, He is love. And so, to try to find it in a human without understanding the origin, it, it's disappointing, right? It's disappointing. When God declares to you that you are His, His, he, he has set His love on you, and there's nothing that can separate. <coughs> His love from you in Christ Jesus, and the cross of Christ proves that. And so, when you understand this, this the love that God has for us. When you understand what verse ten says about receiving mercy, even what even this is this is also a small note. I know I just pointed out in verse um, verse verse ten about receiving mercy, but even. Um, Peter uses the word beloved or beloved, okay? I love when Mr. Etter says that on Sundays. I don't know if you catch that sometimes. You know, he'll, he'll address the congregation as beloved, you know, because that's how God sees us in Christ, his beloved. We are loved dearly, and it should affect us ultimately to have a softness of heart for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That should, that should affect us in some way. Maybe not right now. Maybe, maybe right now that's, that's not how you're feeling. You're just kind of like, okay, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. But as we meditate on God's word, as we let it kind of dig deep roots in our own hearts, it, sh- it should affect us. It should make us think that all these other loves that we experience in here are just a reflection of the greatest love, right? That we should never think, man, like if my parents love me that much, how much more does God love me? If my parents are willing to do that for me, how much more was God in giving his own son? Like, how much harder? I mean, it should affect us. And ultimately, point three, which is this last point, we're going to wrap it all up, is our response to mercy. Peter concludes with this one final kind of exhortation, this push that he urges believers to follow. And he reminds them that as sojourners and exiles now of this world, that we ought to fight against these fleshly passions in warfare. Um... So my, my brother-in-law uh, was in the military um, for, I believe it was upwards of 10, 7, 7, 7 to 10 years. I can't remember. Um, he, t- he tells of this one story, and he, he rarely tells stories because he does struggle with a lot, a lot of post-traumatic stress. He tells this one story one time where he was, he was an infantryman, um, and so he's on the battlefield, and there's a sniper that is aimed at his group of soldiers. Uh, he, had a, he, had a, he had a fellow soldier actually get shot and he was killed. Um, and for an entire period of almost 24 hours, he had to remain still so that he would not lose his life and get shot. And so here he is just sitting, laying, waiting because the enemy was fixed on on killing him, and ultimately didn't. But um, and he lived to tell about it. Um, teens, it's important to remember, right? That spiritual warfare is not a game. It's not pretend. It's not fictitious fairy tales that we read in st- stories. Satan wants you destroyed. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And moment by moment, we have choices to make. Either that we're going to believe in God's word or not. And make no mistake about it, Satan is not just saying like, oh, he didn't believe God's word. Oh, that's nice. Like, no, no, no. Like there is, there is a war for our worship and the X is fixed upon you. Now we have no reason to fear for God is victorious, right? Like we have the ultimate victory in Christ. And we have nothing to fear. We are more than conquerors. At the same time, we do wage war right now, right? today. These, these are times of labor, right? We don't get ultimate rest until we see Christ face to face. And so we do have to be waging war. We have to fight against these fleshly passions as warfare. And if it means that, that we are resisting so that we are not a hit of kind of the battlefield, if, if you will, then so be it. We must be prepared, and it starts. It starts here, teens. It starts here, okay. It starts here. Um. And so this ultimately, and especially in the context of this passage, right, it not only affects um, our relationship with God, but it also matters to others around us. And verse twelve is kind of just a good place to stop. It says, Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And this is just another reminder about the fact that teens, Christianity is not getting any popular anytime soon. Okay? A different version of Christianity that people have created, something that's good for their ears to hear, but not, not, not the Christianity of the Bible. Not, not, not the true gospel. The, the untainted gospel. Right? Right? Christians will become more and more persecuted over time, more and more hated over time, because they first hated Jesus, and therefore our response needs to be: how, how, how can I glorify God in this moment when I'm being pushed, when I'm being told, "No, that's stupid, that's dumb. Why would you ever follow that? That's messed up. Like, how could you? How could you be so idiotic to follow? That's a bunch of fairy tales. Don't you believe in science? Don't you believe in all these other things? Do we, we disprove God? Like, he's it's, it's, don't believe it. Don't fall into that. Okay. Ultimately, keep your conduct, your your behavior, our hearts, honorable before others so that when they speak against us as those who are apparently doing evil when we are not, we are doing the work of the Lord, they ultimately might see those good deeds and ultimately give glory to God. And they would see Christ. They would see the living stone. They would see where we put our hope in. We would put our rest in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Because ultimately, how we treat others says a lot about how we view God and his word. So um, with that, I, I just say, may God give us the grace to do so. Um, may he give us the grace to remember that our identity is in him as we represent him each and every day. And um, yeah, teens, be, be encouraged, right? Be encouraged. Be encouraged in this day to know that God is with us. That ultimately, because of what Christ has done uh, through his life, death, and resurrection, we can truly have hope, right? We can truly have hope. Um, and he can—he truly is our cornerstone. So let me pray, and then we'll have a time of discussion and, and go from there. Okay. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for you being our cornerstone. You are the cornerstone, and though many reject you, it's irrelevant to the f- objective fact that you're the cornerstone, God. Uh, they cannot displace you. They cannot rip you out. Um, you're the foundation on which we stand. And I pray that uh, as uh, we learn more about uh, you in First Peter, and as we have today, that we would trust in you, God, that we would grow a greater taste for your word. We would remember that our identity is in you and that ultimately uh, our response to what you've done for us would be joy. God, unexpressible joy of what you've done, God. Not indifference, not apathy, not like, well, Christ is really good, but I like a bunch of other stuff. God, may, may it be that you are the treasure that we seek, God. You are our ultimate pleasure in life. And God, I pray that as these teens experience many things over the course of life, they, they get to have many different experiences. None no would ever come in between them and their relationship with Jesus. God, protect us, protect them, Make them ambassadors for you and also ultimately uh, soldiers, God, enlisted in this, this this army, a part of the church being built up together. Would you strengthen us for the call that you've given us, which is not an easy task, but God, you give us strength and you give us perseverance so that we might make it to the end, God. In the end, there will be uh, a day of, of rest, <laughs> but until then, God, we labor for your glory, we pray. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, guys. Um, so we have the next uh, ten minutes or so. Again, ten fifteen. You know, um, I know many times people usually wrap up within about ten to fifteen minutes of discussion. Um, so, I do have questions? I did not print them out. So, if you would mind writing down, you can take a picture of them if, if that helps. Um, but this is these are a few questions to consider um, and discuss with your, your parents. And if you didn't come with your parent, you can honestly hop into another group. Uh, first one is, why is it so important to develop a taste for God's word? I already talked about that in the first point. Uh, second is, Christ declared, uh, is declared to be the cornerstone, uh, a metaphor for, for protection and strength. How does this fact, proofreading, <laughs> how does this fact give you comfort? Um, and then lastly is, do you ever take God's mercy for granted? Do you ever take it for granted? Um, what can you do over the next week to appreciate God's mercy, to meditate on God's mercy, to think about God's mercy? Okay, So um, thank you guys again also for being here. I did want to also communicate a, a hello from Mrs. Sarita that she, she was able to be here, um, and she loves you guys so dearly. And um, But I hope you guys have a great discussion. And uh, before you leave, just say say goodbye, and, and, and you guys can, again, as always, just use the, the church house wherever you need to down the, this floor.